He lives in a van down by the river and he fucking loves it. Bonafide van lifer, Pacific Crest Trail hiker, Mississippi River paddler, and if past performance is any indication of future success, soon to be Baja Trail mountain biker. On the podcast today, we swap river stories with Brian Hoover and relive moments of his 111 day journey kayaking the mighty Mississippi. He tells us how he structured his chrono track timing business around his ongoing three year journey into adventure living escaping perceived death in a bayou sugarcane field, and how a boisterous boy from Oklahoma can own a life of purpose, adventure, and happiness. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Busseau, coming to you from the beautiful foothills of the Rocky Mountains. It is November 12th, 2020, and this is episode eight. Howdy, Brian. On the show today, we have Brian Hoover, who is um, coming off the uh, heels of a 111-mile Mississippi uh, riverboat kayaking uh, adventure down the Mississippi River. So I'm gonna—I'm actually going to start with a quote here um, okay. that I read today. So don't wait until you are physically fit, financially stable, or experienced enough to live out your dreams. Turn off the TV, quit arguing about politics, and discover what your passions are and find a way to get inspired to actually do the things that your heart guides you toward. You wrote that. Yeah, that sounds a little familiar. <laughs> <laughs> that was on your Facebook account. Um, I got to tell you, first and foremost, I think in, in the year that is 2020, with all of the things going on, you sort of, um, I think you alone redeemed Facebook for me. I loved reading your posts about the stories. Uh, it was just fantastic. I, I looked forward to it. I, I just, it, it was just amazing to see so much. Um, I don't even call it hope. Just, it was so disconnected from everything else that was going on. So it was just, thank you for sharing all of those stories. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Uh, you know, like I said, a lot of people, 2020 was a horrific year. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough that I've kind of built the business, you know, with Chronotrack's help. Um, I'm kind of the point now, my company kind of runs itself. And as you know, this year has been kind of slow anyway. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been just taking advantage of this time that I have to to get out and do some of these adventures. And uh, this year has probably been the best year of my life. Oh, that is awesome. You know, it's I, I kind of think sometimes, you know, life is built kind of upside down. You know, you, you work hard, you raise your family, you, you have these financial responsibilities until you're 65 years old. And then you got some free time, but you know, unless you're in great shape or you've really taken care of you, but a lot of times, you know, you're, you've kind of lost, lost your step and you're, you're, you're not going to be out climbing or doing these adventures um, at an older age. So, you know, I'm a, I'm getting up there, but uh, I'm taking advantage of a, you know, this time that I do have, uh, like I say, I, I'm lucky enough that my office manager is kind of running the business. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you. We're, we're, ch been a, hey, we're, we're yeah. chopping in and out a little bit. Why don't you just shut off yeah. your video and let's give more bandwidth to the audio. Yep. And I'll do the same on my okay. side. So I can hear you yeah, great you and everything, bet. but, uh, uh yeah, let's, let's the let's video. Kill the video but, for now. Okay. All okay. Right, we'll, yep. we'll, we'll see how that goes. Oh, uh, now we're kind of bouncing our audio around a little bit. Can you hear okay. me? Yep. You sound good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you and I have known I each can. other. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. You and I have known each other for a handful of years through the Chrono Track um, 
timer conference and just the whole ChronoTrack family of timers. Um, and frankly, this is a whole yeah. aspect of your life that I, I was completely unaware of. When did you when did you take on this kind of van adventure life? Is this something you've always done or is this newer? Uh, no, this is newer. I'd say the last three years, uh, like I said, I've kind of gotten my business. My my employees are so good. You know, they're such good technical help that, uh, you know, I bit the bullet and hired a, almost a full time office manager. And when I did that, she was just so great at doing the invoicing, the billing, the um, payroll and all that, that, you know, I was kind of just sitting at home with a lot of time on my hands. So I did that, you know, it's kind of a you know, everyone's kind of doing it now, but I did the van life thing, quote, unquote. And, uh, you know, bought an old van and started, started, uh, you know, exploring the country. And, uh, I've always wanted to hike. I truthfully, Troy, I'd never had a real backpack on my back before last, uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, except for like a school backpack. So, you know, I'd saw some videos of the Pacific Crest Trail and, uh, decided to do that and had so much fun doing that that I wanted a, you know, it's kind of addicting. You, you start doing these things and you meet so many incredible people. And I thought, you know, what well, kind of what could I do that would be similar to a long distance hike, but different. And um, that Mississippi uh, River kayak trip came to mind. And uh, that's what I did uh, this summer. That is amazing. You're you're like the the quintessential. Uh, go do a sprint triathlon in a pool, and then the next week you're training for an Ironman. <laughs> Ironman, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. But, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned van life. I mean, most most folks that I know that are doing quote unquote van life are, you know, taking a week or two over the summer. Um, I don't know too many people that have committed to it in the way that you have. And um, you had a post about you know the the life that you have now in terms of no house payment, you know, no real right. utility payments and all that stuff. I mean, you were, I think you're living the life that so many of us would, um, would even in normal days would love. And it's amazing to, to kind of overlay your life over what has been this chaotic, you know, insane year of 2020. And it feels like, you know, you've just kind of in a way sailed right on through it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really have, you know, and the van life thing, I, truthfully, I wish I had done that, you know, many years ago, you know, once my kids were raised and financially independent, I wish I would have started it then. It's, yeah. uh, you know, the greatest thing in my mind is I can live anywhere. You know, I can wake up to an ocean view if I want for seven days straight. I can wake up to a mountain view. I can live in the desert for six or seven days. And, you know, um, it's it's just been really amazing. And, you know, nowadays a lot of people do this and they, you know, they work from the road. There's so many jobs now, you know, obviously with internet age, I mean, heck I can time a race, um, you know, on some isolated beach as long as I have internet. So um, it's a lot easier to do now than it used to be years ago, for sure. That's a great point. We had one of our engineers for about the last 18 months was um, he and his uh, wife and son have been living out of an air, an airstream, just traveling the country and he would just, you know, yeah. stop during the day and get some code in and uh, move to the next town and things like that. So yeah, I think it's definitely an envious thing and I'd love to uh, pick your brain about it and and have our uh, listeners listen in of just how, I guess how, you, you know, inertia, life has a, a tendency to, get, you know, gain steam um, and sometimes it's tough to step off that treadmill 
and go a different path. Was it was it something in your life that happened? Was it just a slow decision? Was it an abrupt thing? You know, it was more of a, um, I think deep down, I've always had this kind of uh, wanderlust or adventurous spirit inside of me. But just like everyone, you've got responsibilities, you've got a job, you've got finances. Uh, so there's always some excuse to uh, to put it off. And, you know, the catalyst was when I when I just found myself having some some time on my hands, you know, I thought, why spend it mowing the grass and fixing the plumbing and, you know, all of that stuff. And, you know, my thing is, I, I don't really like the phrase that I live in my van because I really don't. Um, I purposely bought a very small. I'm not going to say uncomfortable, but it's not one of these big, luxurious right. Mercedes Sprinter vans. Because I thought to myself, you know, if I've got, you know, a VCR and a TV and all these luxuries, what am I going to do? I'm going to spend my day sitting in my van, you know, watching Netflix or something. So um, my van is just uncomfortable enough. It forces me to get outside, to go on hikes, to ride my bike, to rent a kayak. Or, you know, uh, I just basically use my van to travel from one spot to another and to sleep in. I'm, I'm really not even in it during the day. So, um, and, and that just fits my lifestyle. I, I like to be, you know, active rather than just, you know, sitting in it. So well, well said you're, you're almost, you're, um, uh, you're, you're, you're like a non van life. The van's just the transportation and sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Right. I live out of my van instead of living <laughs> in my van. Yeah. 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 That's great. So yeah. That's awesome. It's been a, it's been amazing. You know, I, I, Go ahead. The Pacific um, Trail, that's the one from uh, the book and movie North, correct? Uh, uh, maybe. Uh, the, the biggest one is Wild. Um, oh, Wild. With, uh, wild. That's what I meant. Yeah, Wild. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, it starts uh, a little bit southwest, southeast of San Diego, literally at the Mexico Wall. Uh, the monument, I think, where everyone starts is maybe 50 feet from the, from the wall. And it just follows the crest of the mountains. You know, a lot of people uh, call it the Pacific Coast Trail. Truthfully, it doesn't even go by the coast. It stays in the crest of the mountains and goes from the Mexico Wall to the uh, Washington-Canada border. And, uh, yeah, that was a a trip of a lifetime. I I just can't even explain how much that changed my life, changed my view on, on all the people that we met. And, you know, the beauty of that trail is a lot of people call that trail the most beautiful, diverse trail in the entire world. And um, I, I believe that. Are you a, um, w- when you started that trip, are you a, I'm going to set a goal, I'm going to I'm gonna make it no matter what, come hell or high water? Or were you kind of playing it by ear? And if it got too tough, no big deal if you jumped off. How did you approach that trip? Yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to finish. And kind of hard to explain my mindset i wanted to finish not so much as the goal but as i didn't want to miss anything um you know i i didn't want to go through life telling the stories of how i i hiked the trail but i i missed out on a certain section mm. and and it wound up i did miss out on a certain section um it was a real high snow year last year in 2019 so most of the uh semi-sane hikers uh, skipped a chunk, what's called the Sierra Nevada mountains because mm-hmm. of the huge snow, uh, the river melt, the snow melt, uh, got pretty darn dangerous, or there was a few deaths in the last couple of years of people getting swept down the river in those rapids. So, so I did skip a couple hundred miles. Um, and I, I hope to go back and 
and do that section for that reason that, you know, I want to, I want to see it all. And that was yeah. some of the most beautiful parts of the trail. So what, what time of year were you going through this year in Nevada? Uh, I was going a little bit early and that's one of the reasons why I decided to skip it. I wanted to keep hiking rather yeah. than wait two or three weeks. So I hit the Sierras on probably June 2nd, June 3rd, somewhere yeah. in there. So a little bit too early. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that hike was just amazing. I mean, there's literally like 5,000 people that do it every year. So, you know, most people start off by themselves, but you know, you get, it's just like a, like a long ultra race, you know, yeah. you get passed by a ton of people, then you pass them when they're taking a break. Um, so you end up, you know, seesawing back and forth with these people and you end up hiking together for two weeks or three months. And it's, it's called your tramily, uh, instead of <laughs> a, a trail family. And it's just amazing how well you get to know the people and how much, uh, you know, I'll be in contact with these people that I hiked with for, for the rest of my life. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I noticed yeah. on the, on your, um, you know, I was watching the posts and things and I just assumed those were like your two good buddies with you on the Mississippi, but come to find out you didn't even know them when you started the journey. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a, a different, uh, I started off with a married couple that I had met on the PCT. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the husband, we knew that he was going to get off in August, late August, cause he had a job commitment that he had to go to. Um, and his wife ended up getting off for other reasons as well. But on the very first day, uh, myself and the married couple, we met an 81 year old named Stan Stark. And he um, was going for the Guinness Book of World Records for the oldest person to finish to complete the en entire uh, Mississippi River at 81. And wow. uh, I stayed with him from the beginning till the end. And, and he finished. And, uh, you know, there's some paperwork involved. But, you know, I hope within a month they ratify it or verify it or yeah. whatever the term is. That's awesome. And, and then 11 days into the trip, I met two guys that were... Uh, paddling the entire river but they were fishing as they were going mm. um and uh one of them one of those two guys met a girl in in minnesota in a grand rapids and ended up uh, falling in love and getting off but the other one chase uh we paddled the entire thing so me and chase and stan did the whole river together yeah oh man <laughs> oh, there's plenty of time to meet women and, and fall in yeah love. There's, there's yeah it's time to i know mississippi come on man I know. Bros over. Yeah, I won't well. say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. So talk me through the mindset here. When you started this trip, how much how much planning did you have um going in? And and I uh, I will preface you you had zero experience kayaking. I had kayaked probably two or three times in my life, and all three all two or three of those times were, you know, you're at some touristy spot where they rent, you know, these little sit on top kayaks for yeah. an hour and you know i'd rent rent it for an hour and then put it back so almost zero experience uh in a kayak certainly no experience in the type of kayak that i ended up doing the trip in mm. and i've been racking my brain but i'm 99 percent sure i've never even dipped my toe in the mississippi river wow. in my lifetime so wow. uh very little experience i did I did do a, a bit of research for three or four weeks. I at least knew the big dangers. You know, I knew the, you know, I knew I'd be encountering barges. I knew I'd be in, 
encountering big ocean ships. I knew there'd be currents and stuff like that. But most of it, you know, just like the hiking, you kind of learn as you go. You just kind of pick things up. And um, yeah, so um, any, and anyone, and, and I, I, I actually don't think you have to have a lot of experience. It helps if you're with other people. Um, you definitely want to wear your life jacket. You definitely want to have some emergency uh, locator beacon in case something goes wrong. But um, it it starts off pretty tame and it gets a little more dangerous as you go. But by that time, you've developed the skills that you need to to be able to complete it. So got it. Yeah, I read uh, something on on your post about muddy muddy Mike, who was a tour guide yeah. here. So we kind of broke it down from middle school, high school, college, and, and so forth. You kind of learn along yeah. the way. Yeah. And that's exactly the truth. The, the river, and you know, not a lot of people know this, um, cause I think most people kind of see the river, you know, when it's a mile and a half, two miles wide, but where it starts at up in, in Northern Minnesota at a place called Lake Itasca, it's literally like eight, 10 feet across and eight, eight to 12 inches deep. Um, you know, a lot of times we were, you know, just hitting bottom. We we're having to scooch our, you know, put our hands in the gravel and push ourselves to get us unstuck. So, um, you know, the first part of the, the river is very different from the rest. The first part, uh, there are no barges. Barges can't get north of, uh, of Minnesota. Um, there's dams, but there's no locks. So that means you've got to put your kayak in these like little wheels and literally pull your kayak in the dirt or some kind of path to get around the locks. And then you've got barges uh, south of Minneapolis and then Baton Rouge, you start getting the uh, big ocean ships. So it, it, it definitely changes. It looks like around St. Louis is when it gets a little nutty. It does kind of turns into the Mississippi that we all think of. It it does in that area, two major rivers, both the Missouri and the Ohio join in. And while it's nice that, um, well, let me back up a little. A lot of people think, you know, watching Huck Finn that we just floated it. Um, we paddled, we paddled almost all day long. You know, we would take breaks, you know, and kind of float a little bit just to, you know, give our shoulders a little rest. But, um, when those rivers join in it, you go a lot faster because you're, you're going three or four miles an hour without even paddling. And then paddling, you can reach speeds of seven to eight miles an hour. But as the river current gets stronger, you get all kinds of weird, I mean, there's whirlpools that would, you know, you get caught in these whirlpools and it would just spin you around. It's kind of hard to get out of them. You get these, uh, the barges make a lot bigger wake, the ones that are going upstream because they're having to, you know, power their engines a lot more to battle the, uh, the upriver current. Uh, so yeah, advantages and disadvantages. It, uh, you do have to watch out. Uh, there's a lot of weird currents and water shifting and stuff like that. So. Hmm. So what time of year then, um, when did, when did you start, when did you make the decision to do the trip and when did you really start planning in earnest? Yeah, I would say it was January when I put something out in Facebook asking, you know, I, you know, I kind of just put something out. My dream is to kayak the entire Mississippi and I'd rather not do it alone. And a girl that I'd hiked with, she said that she was very much interested in doing it, but it wasn't a hundred percent. And then I would say literally probably four weeks before we started, 
Uh, she gave me the, you know, I'm 100% going with you. Mm. And then she conned her husband into going too. So I would say about a month is when the real preparations began. I started searching for a kayak, okay. started doing more intense uh, research on it, uh, buying some of the gear that I didn't have that I needed. So yeah, not a lot of real preparation. Got it. So this was this was happening even without COVID because COVID really hit the U.S. in the in the timing market in in March. You kind of saw it coming right. a little in February, but January right. certainly when we were at conference in St. Pete's, it was okay. It's going to skirt us. It's going to hit Asia and you know maybe some other places. We'll be done in a couple months, and but but we're gonna we're gonna survive it. Right. Um, yeah. I, like I said, it was probably January when I first developed the idea, and that. I'd probably heard of COVID at the time, but it, you know, it's just something that I thought was another country. So, um, and I'm really surprised that um, I'll kind of go into this a little bit. Um, and I've mentioned this on Facebook, you know, while the scenery is just amazing, the animals we saw, the, the weather phenomenons we saw uh, was just incredible, but it's really the people that you meet, especially the locals. Um, and with COVID going on, you know, we were kind of, you know, wondering if we were going to get any help, if anyone was going to, uh, you know, invite us into their homes and feed us. But it turned out to be we had 10 times more um, hospitality from the people that live on the river or live near the river than even on the PCT last year before COVID. Um, they would they'd hear about us on our there's a Facebook group, of course, you know, there's a group for everything, but there's a group called Mississippi river paddlers. Okay. We just kind of update where we were. And, you know, it seems like every other day we were getting messages, you know, Hey, when you hit this town, we'll come pick you up off the river. We'll take you to our, our cabin on the, on the river. You can do laundry. You know, they feed us dinner. They feed us breakfast the next morning. Let us take showers, uh, even borrow their vehicles to run into town to resupply. So, uh, I, I, I could, I could talk for three hours about the, the incredible people that we met. It just, once again, this is kind of a, a jargon thing, but it really does reinforce your faith in, in humanity. Yeah. So yeah, incredible. Were you finding a lot of these people were, um, uh, equally affected by COVID and everything, or were they you know, kind of as like, who were these people? Were they simple River people, yeah. if you know, for lack of a better term, or were they just people who happened to live in the area? And um, I would say they're they're they were truthfully. I think we met more well. I mean, we were staying in some of these houses that were, you know, not mansions, but these were million dollar houses along the river. Mm. Um, and but you know, some on the other end too. It'd be just a little summer home that they had that yeah. you know they'd they'd stay down there in the summer. Um, some of the people. You know, we did stay in some backyards because, you know, some people just, you know, are a little more cautious or a little more elderly. And, you know, they'd cook us breakfast out on the, their patio. But, you know, others would invite us into the house and, you know, we'd sleep in the beds and, you know, spare bedrooms. So, yeah, kind of the whole gamut. Wow. And you just played all that by ear? Or were you were you sort of staying ahead on Facebook or were you were you hooking up with these people like as you would be floating? Yeah, um, we would we would do our best to check our messages uh in the tent and you know because you know we didn't want to you know someone spends the time to invite us and they're they're actually hoping that we do stay with them so mm -hmm. we we kind of wanted to um 
to follow up with them. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. You know, you, you camp at one spot and they want you to stop and stay the night. And it's only three miles down the river. You know, we, we still have to make our mileage. Sure. So there were times that we would say, you know, Hey, thank you very much. We really appreciate the offer, but it's just, it's not working out logistically uh, for us. So. Got it. So you yeah. head you head out on July 15th, right? It was about 111 yes. days. I think I read. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. yeah 111. So, so July 15th to November 2nd. Is that the date you. Uh, I think it was November 3rd, whatever day the election, election day was oh. the day we got off. Uh, we hit the Gulf of Mexico. So oh, was that by plan or, or was that? Uh, uh, no, no, happen? it very much wasn't. We, we thought we were going to be done the third week of October. We had a couple of hurricanes that, mm. oh, that's right. that slowed us down some. So, yeah. That's right. What was it like in, in Minnesota, middle of July? Um, I mean, you kind of, you, you, it seems like you stayed away from the harshest of the summer kind of all the way down. Did you? Did you feel like the weather kind of cooperated? Man, Troy, I can't tell you how. I mean, I could probably do this trip 10 more years in a Mm -hmm. row and never have as good of weather as we had. Almost every day was like, I don't know, 70 to 82 degrees, sunny, not too windy. Um, We literally, I think we only had like two days that we paddled actually in the rain. And, you know, that'd be for like an hour or two and then clear up. Um, We did have some... uh, some storms at nighttime. We had one, um, what they call it a derecho, 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 not, not the huge one that was on the news, but a smaller one. Um, but as we got further South, we did hit, uh, two hurricanes. One was hurricane Delta. We were in Vicksburg, uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi, I think. Yeah. Vicksburg, Mississippi. And uh, we had to stay a couple of days there because the remnants were, uh, were pushing through and there were going to be high winds. And when we got into new Orleans, we had actually planned to stay three days anyways. And then we heard about hurricane, I believe it was Zeta, uh, that actually hit new Orleans. So, uh, we stayed an extra three days there, but, uh, yeah, pretty cool city to be, to be stuck in. We had a lot of fun there. (laughs) Where was your, um, where was your favorite? I mean, some of the pictures that I saw, like were you know, white sand beaches and these, these, uh, little kind of Island types of things in the middle of the, River. Yeah. Where, where would where was your favorite spot, or did you even it's probably probably had a hundred yeah. favorites? Well, I mean, I mean, I can tell you that the area, as far as the uh, scenery goes, northern Minnesota, it was just incredible. I mean, most of it is uh, I don't want to call it swampland, but marshland, I guess, where mm-hmm. uh, you know there's no there's literally no land on either side of the small skinny little river. It's just cattails and uh, wild rice. Uh, but the the birds, the animals, the otters, uh, that was my favorite part scenically. Mm. But the hard part there was it was kind of hard to find land. You know, yeah. you wanted to get out and pee or, you know, grab a snack or something. And sometimes we'd have to paddle three, five miles just to <clears throat> find land. And then when we did, the river was down a lot last year. So the mud, you know, we would literally be up to our hips in mud and crawling on our hands and knees to try to keep from sinking in this. So, but the camping spots by far, uh, like you had mentioned, um, once we hit about the St. Louis area, there's Mm -hmm. a just beautiful white sand beach. I mean, we felt like we were in LA on, you know, or, uh, the, the West coast beaches, they're just pristine, beautiful, 
you know, the sand is tough to deal with when you're, when you're camping, you get sand in, in every nook and corner, but, sure. uh, yeah, but that was my favorite as far as camping wise was down there. So have you thought about just, um, like in the field, like, do you think you'll go back and visit some of these places? Not on the, not on the, not on as part of a river, uh, trip, but is it some place that you would go back and visit just as camping spots? Um, Probably. I definitely, like I said, we met such great people that we've kept in contact with. I'd like to visit some of these, uh, we call them river angels, the people that kind of uh, like to take care of paddlers that are coming down the river. And uh, when I do that, I definitely want to have my kayak ready and, and do some little short day paddles um, and visit with some of these incredible people that we met. So yes, I, I definitely would like to do that. So, so river angels, were there, were there any river devils? Did you come across uh, any time you were scared or any bad experiences? <laughs> you know, we only had, and, and I'm going to tell, there's a story that I think you saw maybe on, on social media, but we really only had one real jerk and it was just this little marina that, you know, most of the marinas are public and they have restaurants and they welcome anyone. But there was one guy we paddled into and it was a private marina and, he was uh he was not too friendly, but I think we only met that was the only person I think we met in the whole trip that uh was just pretty rude. But um I will tell the it's kind of a it, it scared the heck out of me. Um so me and Stan and Chase, we had paddled all day. It was probably six thirty, seven thirty in the evening. It was starting to get a little bit dark. And uh we'd set up our tents and I think we we're starting to cook a little bit of dinner. And we hear this uh, dirt bike uh, roar up onto the beach. And, uh, you know, Stan's 81, so he's a little more wary of strangers than, than Chase and I. When Chase and I see a stranger, our first thoughts is, hey, man, maybe he's got, like, some food or a cold yeah. beer or a cold soda or something. So, Well, and Chase looks like he could climb a tree in about two seconds if yeah, something he went could. down. That guy is athletic. He's outdoorsy. He's, he's a younger guy. Yeah, so. Anyways, Chase is talking to him. I'm, I'm kind of still in my tent. I think I poked my head out and said, hey, what's up? Uh, so he offered to um, take us into town. He said if we wanted to go into town, he'd get rid of the, the dirt bike and go get his truck. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we took him up on that. And 10 minutes later, we hear a honk. And we kind of uh, crawl up the sand bank to this uh, sandy road that he was parked on. It was a, wasn't an older, maybe like early nineties, like small Toyota pickup truck. I don't remember the names of those little, little ones, but it just had room for one passenger. Yep. So anyways, I said, Hey, can I, you know, hop in the back? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So I'm in the back with my back up against the, uh, the toolbox. And, uh, we go through these rural dirt roads, sand roads, uh, through these fields, um, into this town. And, uh, his name was T-Boy, and this is Baton Rouge. He's got a very slow southern Cajun, Cajun accent. And uh, so T-Boy stays in the truck. Me and Chase go in. We get a few supplies, and I hop back in the back of the, the bed of the truck. So I really hadn't talked to this T-Boy that much, yeah. but, you know, I'm, I'm not worried. Everyone we'd met the whole trip was very nice. You know, I didn't think I was going to get murdered at the time or anything. But <laughs> is, this a, is this a young guy, older guy? He's probably, I don't know, maybe 33, a little bit gruff. You know, he's, uh, I think he does something construction. He's had a little scruffy beard, but, you know, just a blue collar, um, blue collar guy. Got it. And uh, so 
I'm in the back of the truck again, and we're heading back to our beach spot, our, our sand camping spot. And I noticed we are taking a different route than the route that we had taken into town. And, you know, I'm cool. That's fine. Whatever. And I just kind of remember thinking to myself, kind of laughing in my own head, you know, that this would be a great spot to kill someone <laughs> and oh, murder them or rob them or whatever. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking that, but yeah. I did. I do remember thinking, you know, as long as we don't stop in the middle of nowhere. Sure. Um, and uh, so we're taking this different route back. And sure enough, we're like, we've got sugarcane fields to the left of us, to the right of us. And these, these plants are about seven, eight feet tall. And he stops. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, what are we doing? Like he just stops literally in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of these. Stops in the middle of nowhere. I mean, literally in the middle of a dirt road with these fields left and right. I mean, there's no, there's nothing in front of the truck, like no gully or nothing. I was kind of looking around and yeah. like, why did he stop? You didn't sense that the truck broke down or anything? He stopped. No, no, no. And, and the truck was still running. So oh. I could hear the engine running. Um, I couldn't hear Chase talking um, in the front. So I'm getting, I'm like, okay, whatever. Anyways, he gets out, he opens his driver's door. I smell a little bit of marijuana coming out and, you know, no big deal, whatever. And this T-boy literally pulls a knife out of his pocket by four or five inches, holds it right up to me. My heart's beating a little bit faster now. Mm Mm-hmm. And he goes, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating, but the first like seven words out of his mouth was, I'm going to cut you all up. What? Some of this here sugar cane. <laughs> and he kind of paused. He goes, I'm going to cut you all up. Some of this here sugar cane. Oh, so come on. For that, for that half second, one second, my heart was jumping out of my chest. <laughs> oh, man. But then, you know, then he turned around and he cut us off a piece of sugar cane. I later found out that it was his family's uh, sugar cane farm. And uh, he was talking to Chase in the front seat, asking if we'd ever had any real sugar cane. And Chase said no. And I'm telling this story to Chase because Chase doesn't really know anything of what I'm feeling or what I heard. You know, his perspective is totally different. And uh, we laughed about that for three or four days. <laughs> do, you, do you think that he was kind of trying to be theatrical or or was he? Was I don't think his, so. I yeah. think he was just holding his knife up and saying, hey, I'm going to cut you guys some of this, uh, you know, the sugar cane here. But the way he phrased it was, uh, uh, and I actually told that story on Facebook and somehow he made a comment and he said something like, hey, man, sorry about that. Oh, that's funny. But he was a nice guy. He came over afterwards. We drank a few beers and by the campfire and he was telling us a little history of the, the area and, and all that. But yeah, it was a little scary for a second. <laughs> well, that's funny. Wow. What a, what a, what a nice little detour trip there. And you're just like, yeah. Oh Jesus, I'm going to die out in the middle of a sugarcane field. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cause everything was adding up. We're taking a different route back. He stopped in the middle of nowhere. He pulls out a knife and shows it to me. And then, says i'm gonna cut you all up so um but anyways i well, thought it was man, pretty that's, funny that is remarkable 111 days on the mighty mississippi and that's kind of your the worst of it that was yeah that was probably the the only time now as far as people are concerned yeah, yeah. um yeah that was even that yeah we had no other incidents at all you know there were some scary moments uh, you know in my kayak i'm a i'm a big boy i'm not you know, one of these skinny athletic in shape people. So my kayak is pretty fast, but it's pretty skinny. And usually the skinnier it is, the faster it is, but it's also the more unstable it is. 
And uh, we had some, I had some pretty close calls with some huge monster eight to 10 foot waves from multiple barges passing us. Um, my kayak got swamped a couple of times. My cockpit of my kayak filled up with water a couple of times and I had to paddle to shore quickly. Um, oh, there's one other little scary <laughs> time and this doesn't have anything to do with people, but uh, have you ever heard of a uh, Asian flying carp? No. So there's these fish. They're a they're an invasive species that they wish they could get rid of. But uh, in the St. Louis area, even before I started the trip, I'd heard stories about boats going by and the the propeller sound. I don't know if it frightens these fish or what. But these fish can get like four or five feet long. They're they're oh. big fish. Wow. And they they jump. They jump straight up into the air. And uh, so we didn't really know too much whether the, the, our paddles would excite them like, like a boat propeller. Um, and we hadn't seen a single one. Um, and I'm paddling I'm by myself. No, actually, I had another person with me paddling. And I'm going pretty fast. I'm going probably six, seven miles an hour. And boom, just an explosion out in front of my <laughs> kayak and this dang Asian flying carp is up in the air and I run smack into it. It hits my lip. It bloodies my lip a little bit. Not, not real bad. Yeah. But then it falls straight down. And these are not the open kayaks. These have like a round little oval cockpit area. Mm -hmm. And this 20 pound fish is flopping around in an area that guys really don't want a big fish flopping around at. And uh, so it, it's like it, so it, it I kind of reached my hands under it. And so it went it like it went into the hole. Where Troy, you, you broke up first. Yeah. Okay. Do I get you back? Yes, it went straight, literally straight into my lap, Oh, geez. Um, into my lap and a little bit enclosed by the walls of the cockpit in my lap. So they're so slippery and I got slime and blood all over me. And, <sighs> but I finally managed to get it out of the uh, out of the cockpit. Um, but yeah, we laughed pretty hard about that. But these fish, and then other times later on, we'd literally be paddling, and like fifty of them are just the water's just exploding everywhere. They're 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 jumping like fifty at a time within like a twenty yard radius of us. Huh. They're hitting our paddles. They're hitting our boats. Uh, are they it's edible? A crazy are they, are sight. They, do people eat them? No, they're not. Okay. No, they're like drum or gar. They're a garbage fish. They're invasive. They're mm. they they wish they would all die kind of thing so mm. and they're dangerous you know if you're in a boat going 30 miles an hour there's stories of people getting their eyes um losing an eye there's wow. deaths because they hit them going 30 miles an hour and it, it kills them so it's a kind of a dangerous thing but you're yeah that was crazy but yeah google that sometime asian flying carp and uh you'll probably see some crazy videos of boaters uh getting into a mess of those all right i'll, I'll try to avoid those there's a there's another quote that I read. Um, it it, it kind of ties in, but um, you had mentioned that um, you know you're not a you're not a skinny guy when you were when you were on the on in the kayak. But I'm going to read this other quote right. that I read that I liked. Uh, so it goes, um, "Who the hell am okay. I? The folks that had done these long distance trips were athletes. They were in great shape. They were the picture book images of Instagram fitness." Even today, I'm fat, slow, and motivated to eat Cheetos in my underwear on my sofa. 
So what? Judge me. <laughs> yeah, I'd hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, but I had done that adventure with seven amazing people whom I love and inspired me to climb every peak. Adventures, I thought, are only for fit people. I am not fit, but I am stubborn. I will do my best on any adventure. I love that. Yeah. Boy, I, I'd totally forgotten about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess my, my point was, is that, you know, so many of my friends and my family say, you know, I could never do that because I'm not in shape. Um, I don't have the experience to do something like that. And, you know, this is, you know, this is different than a race. You know, if you if you wanted to do a race and you wanted to do well at it, you train and you train hard and you, you try to get the outcome that you're, you're going for. But, you know, these are just adventures that you take your time with and you literally get in shape as you go. Um, you know, I lost, I think, uh, 45 pounds on the PCT. I lost almost 30 on this Mississippi river trip. Um, and you know, you just, you know, you start off and you go at your own pace and you, before long, you, before you know it, you know, you're, you're hiking longer distances, you're paddling longer distances, you're getting a little bit less sore. Um, so you, you really just, you learn and you get in shape as you go. Um, you know, I'm not knocking. I mean, if you can get in great shape, to do these longer adventures. I mean, it's all the much easier, but you don't have to be in great shape to do these things. I mean, so, you know, if anyone's out there listening and just wondering if they could ever do some of this stuff, I mean, you can, you know, you yeah. just take it slow and let your body acclimate. So. Yeah. It seems like there, the, I mean, your entire approach, whether it was the um, Pacific trail or, or Mississippi, and I know you've got a Baja trip now that you're, that you're planning. Um, yeah. It, it just, I don't know. It, it's, um, I think so many people have a list of excuses that they're, you know, in their back pocket that they're ready to feed you when you ask them why they're not doing this or that. And it just seems like you're just like cutting through all the BS and saying, no, this is, it's just a matter of kind of making that decision, maybe being a little bit stubborn and, and picking your adventure and going. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd say, you know, do your research, find out what the dangers are, but also keep in the back of your head, there's a, a term in hiking and it may be maybe other sports use it, but it's called fear mongering. And, you know, if you're on Facebook enough, or if you listen to enough of your family members and friends that say, you know, I, mean, I can't tell you how many people said the Mississippi river is too dangerous. You should not do it. You shouldn't even consider it. And, you know, I took that with a grain of salt. There are dangers. I mean, there's dangers to, you know, getting in your car and driving on the freeway to work. Um, but, you know, if you kind of know in the back of your mind what those dangers are and you, you kind of come up with some kind of game plan, uh, you'll find out that 99% of what people are saying um, the dangers are, those are coming from people that actually haven't done the entire river or done a long trail, or those dangers were based on a certain time of year that they were in. So, uh, like I said, I'm not trying to say that there's, there's not dangers, but no. most of the time you're going to say, hey, that wasn't half as bad as what everyone was, you know, ranting on, on about. So Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, look, I mean, yeah. you know, you can, you can you know, fall down, break your leg in your backyard, or you can, you can kayak, oh, yeah. you know, 2,500 miles of the Mississippi and, and, you know, nary a scratch. So. Yeah. I mean, even going back to running, I mean, I can't tell you how many people used to tell me that, you know, running's bad for your knees, you're going to wreck your body and, you know, so yeah. Yeah. So each day, di- so you, 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 you said you lost 30 pounds. Tell me what life is like on the river in terms of, are you are you 
are you fishing and eating? Are you making campfires and eating what you catch? Are you hitting restaurants? Like what's the, what's life like going down? Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll try to keep this, um, I'll try not to stretch this out, but you know, the river is so different. So it, it everything kind of changes in certain sections. Like the first three weeks, we were in the middle of nowhere. There were no restaurants. There's no towns, um, even very few fishing boats. So we would, you know, wake up, cook a sh- quick little breakfast of oatmeal, maybe. Um, we'd try to find a spot to eat lunch, uh, you know, make a sandwich or some dehydrated food or fruit or whatever. And uh, we'd paddle and we'd eat dinner. But once we hit Minneapolis, or uh, sorry, yes, Minneapolis. I always get Minneapolis and Minnesota confused. Uh, once we hit the city of Minneapolis, um, I mean, Troy, there were like beautiful uh, riverside bar and grills. You know, we were mm. stopping every day for lunch and having a couple of beers and eating a big cheeseburger. Um, and, you know, we did that not every day, but yeah. you know, we did enjoy <laughs> real food from time to time. Okay. Um, but then we hit St. Louis and the dams end at St. Louis. There's no more dams, the whole rest of the, the river. And I think the reason the river gets so desolate so after we hit St. Louis, we quit seeing pleasure boats. We quit seeing cities. We quit seeing people. Um, and I think the reason is because there's no dams. You can't have a city right on the river because the river is going to flood sometimes. And it's going to, oh. so all the cities are tucked behind these levees, uh, behind these, uh, yeah, levee uh, berms, uh, earthen, earthen dams, I guess. So, um, you know, it, it, really changed a lot once we got to a certain point once we were like a month out we quit eating lunch we would just put snacks in our life jackets and and snack a little bit at lunch and just keep paddling so um and everyone's different you know uh, i can only tell you guys tell you what you know what our kind of uh style was uh these beaches some of them were just literally nothing but sand there were no trees there was no washed up wood but others we'd go on there'd be tons of um washed up trees driftwood uh and we'd have huge fires and we'd cook on the fire um fishing uh chase fished a ton and a lot of times if he caught a fish later in the evening he'd save it and cook us up some fish but you know that was still only like five or six nights maybe okay what was the longest you would go at any stretch without access to outside food like what would you have to pack uh, yeah, I think one stretch, I don't remember where it was, it was South St. Louis. Um, we packed about seven days worth of food. We really needed to pack about nine days worth of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we made it last. And Chase and I would actually, sometimes we'd call them little excursions. We would, uh, we'd beach our canoes or our kayaks. We'd lock them up together with a little cable lock. Mm-hmm. Stan, Stan would paddle on, you know, he's 81. He's not wanting to do these, uh, off-road kind of things. So we'd, we'd literally walk on these muddy, muddy banks Mm. into a dirt road and we'd climb the levee and we'd walk through these like, um, soybean fields, Mm. hoping some farmer's not going to come out and shoot us. So we'd walk literally two or three miles to a town. And then we'd walk another mile or two to find a grocery store. Mm And then we'd carry all of our groceries and heavy water 
back to the kayak. So some of those little side trips, those excursions that I call them that we did would take, you know, three hours, but, um, mm. you know, if, if you need stuff, you, you know, you do what you got to do. And, and I actually enjoyed them. Those are, those are what makes the memories, you know, um, yeah. some of that bushwhacking that we did to get into some of these towns. Well, that brings up an interesting point. How much, uh, were, how much does nine, well, in your case, seven days of water, <laughs> A ton, a lot. Wow. Um, one liter weighs two point two pounds. Um, so I, I actually I, I can't believe I don't know how much a gallon of water weighs, but it weighs a lot, and it takes up a lot of room. And uh, you know you're constantly conserving uh, water. But luckily, it wasn't the hottest days we had was up in northern Minnesota. Believe it or not, it was mm-hmm. mid July. We had a few days that, you know, hit 85, 86, and we'd be guzzling quite a bit of water. But we really got lucky. Like I said, we didn't have so many hot days that we were burning through our water that that fast. So That's good. What was the coldest it would get down to at night on some of these nights where you didn't have um, uh, driftwood and fire yeah. uh, bonfires? Um, I've got a pretty good sleeping bag, so I really never, mm. never got cold. I wore my socks. I, I did take a thick pair of... Uh, wool socks but i think i only wore them once or twice i would say the coldest we ever got down to was maybe uh 47 48 okay uh so i mean there were mornings that we would uh put on a light jacket in the morning um but you know we'd take it off as soon as we started paddling um so yeah we got we got extremely lucky with the weather uh we couldn't have asked for for better and you can't, uh, I would assume, even with a filter or something, you can't, you're probably not going to drink out of the Mississippi, correct? Well, you know, could you? mostly, but uh, northern Minnesota, yes. Uh, there's no agriculture. There's no industry. Um, you know, the worst thing I think you'd, you'd find in those northern Minnesota parts of the river would be like maybe a dead animal or something. So, yeah, I think quite a few people... Uh, probably filtered water maybe even down close to uh minneapolis but then after that um you know you've got so much industry you've got so many uh huge barges that are putting diesel into the water and chemicals floating into the water so um yeah filter maybe a little bit up there but not not too far Mm. so um i was going to ask you something and i forgot what i was even going to ask you you mentioned um, in one of your posts, and maybe uh, you don't have to answer this, this is maybe a personal question, but there, when you finish these trips, yep. you have a, you have a, you know, kind of a depression that sets in. Did did you mean that literally, or is it sort of like a melancholy to be off the road? Have you have you dealt with those types yeah. of issues in your life? Uh, I have, um, and I I don't know if I would technical call it you know technical depression, but it certainly you know when I. I got off the PCT. Um, you got to remember that you you're with these people for so long. They're they're literally you think of them as your family. I mean, yeah. you you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, you know their fears. You know, you laugh together. You maybe not cry together, but you know, you go through so many emotions on a trip like this, and you form such strong bonds that once it's over, it's like you know your your family has left you, um, mm. and. You know, also the the adventure part, you know, you're you're waking up, you're seeing new, beautiful things every day. And then when it's over, you know, you're back in town, you've got stoplights and honking horns and mad people and all that. So 
it is a it is a bit depressing to kind of come back to to everyday life. Um, you know, I'm pretty lucky that I. What helps me is I just you know I'll start planning my next adventure. But yeah. you know the for people that are you know going back to their job that they may not love, it's you know it's even tougher. So it it's real. It's you know I I don't think you know, I'm not sitting home crying every day, but you know, you do miss it. So. Hmm. So when, when, um, you've got, I know you've got some, uh, kids, grandkids and things like that. So there's, uh, you can't, you can't just disappear. Um, what's the, do they live pretty near you? They do. Uh, I've got uh, a daughter in Norman, Oklahoma, where OU plays. Um, and then I've got a son in Kansas city. So between two and four hours away and yeah, that's the that's the toughest thing about these adventures, especially yeah. when you've got young grandchildren and they're you know they're changing every day. They're you know starting to walk. They're they're starting to talk. And uh, yeah, I, I I miss a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I actually had a grandson born while I was on the river, and with COVID and everything, um, you know, my son and my daughter-in-law said, you know, Dad, just you know, finish your adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not people allowed in the hospital. We're going to be safe and not allow too much family around anyways. Um, but that was hard. Um, I, I actually bet. did get off the river for four or five days and uh, did kind of uh, sneak off and visited with my new grandson for a couple of days. So it's a it's a fine balancing act between family and um, an adventure. So. Wow. So in all of that, you said really nothing i mean other than you know you had some some swells you guys were able to get off the river for the hurricanes that blew in any yes. um i mean is it pretty like are there rapids are there like waterfalls are there anything crazy or is it pretty um there are rapids uh, especially in the northern part in northern minnesota um there's fallen trees you know one tree can block the entire river so you're mm. constantly doing like a limbo under these things mm. There's minor rapids that can be pretty dangerous. I mean, that even though the river is not very wide or very deep, that that water is powerful. But mm-hmm. one of the stories that I'll kind of talk about, um, this is in the St. Louis area. It's called Chain of Rocks. And I don't know the history, but I think these rocks are naturally there. And it forms what's called a low or a low water dam. Mm. And the water falls only about six or seven feet, but it creates these huge splashes, huge waves. And it's something that you don't want to go over. And uh, we knew it was coming up that day, but we didn't know we were that close to it. And I just remember paddling and I, I was out in front, my two buddies chase the younger guy and Stan, the older guy are behind me. And I hear this just, what is that? And then I got a little bit closer and I could see, and then I could see that the water was uh, just white, loud, churning. And I turned back around. And the current is so powerful that it was sucking us into this this small waterfall, small but dangerous waterfall. And I was able to paddle parallel but a little bit up river but i could see he kept getting closer and closer to the to the falls and i was like stan paddle upstream more and and he couldn't and i kept looking over my shoulder and he's getting closer and closer and i hear him yell he goes 
I'm going over whether I want to or not. Whoa. He was able to get his kayak turned around so that he was facing completely downstream, and that's the way you want to do it. Mm. Um, he didn't have what's called a skirt that keeps water from getting in your cockpit. So anyways, he went over. He survived. His cockpit filled up with water. And by this time, my other buddy Chase is caught up to me, and I go, dude, Stan just went over the chain of rocks. And Chase is pretty calm. He's like, okay, all right. So Chase starts paddling directly upriver away from it. Mm. But he's got a fishing kayak, and his kayak's much wider, so it doesn't cut through the water as easily as Stan and mine. And I could see Chase. He's just paddling his heart out, but he's not going anywhere. He's just staying mm. in one place. And, uh, and I knew he was going over as well. Um, he went over. He survived. He said it was the scariest moment of his life. Wow. I was able to go to the other, I was able to paddle and get out of the current and made it to the other side and literally dragged my kayak about a three quarters of a mile on rocks and sand and was able to get it back in the river downstream of this area. But that for sure was our scariest, uh, for sure their scariest moment of the entire trip. So you, um, and you pretty broke, scary for me. You broke up for two or three seconds there. How, how far down was the drop? Um, I would say between four and seven feet um depending on what area you went over and then there was a second drop that i didn't even know about and they said that drop was even bigger um so you know it's something that very easily you could get thrown out of your kayak and in that kind of water i don't think a life jacket would keep you afloat at all it would just push you under you pop back up push you under you pop back up yeah and you can get you can get trapped in that kind of rolling um waves i guess rolling water so wow. yeah very dangerous as a matter of fact we didn't tell that story to anyone for like three <laughs> weeks because uh everyone wanted to tell their family before you know th- that was their first thing don't put that on facebook yeah. I said, dude I, I promise i will not put that on facebook so yeah there's but, so uh, many. i was in new orleans uh, um two years ago i think uh did we have a chrono track conference there is that when i was there last uh i'm not sure i didn't go to the last one so one of the conferences um and i you know just sitting there watching the river and you see all of these little whirlpools forming and where the you know the the water just shifts in the exact opposite direction there's the famous story of the the singer jeff buckley who as the haunting version of hallelujah died swimming across the mississippi i mean it's a yeah it's it's not a unless you've seen it firsthand you just can't picture how a river can one be so huge um but right. then just you kind of just picture it all you know huh, it's just rolling down one one direction but all of the the cross currents and things like that can get pretty dangerous yeah it can and sometimes you don't even realize how fast that current is going until you see like a stationary object like they do have like channel markers red and green that kind of mark the channels that the barges uh, need to stay in so they don't run aground. But you can see just that, that water slamming up against these, uh, you know, barrels and you, you really get a feel for how much water and how fast that water is moving. So um, did, did you guys ever hop out of the kayaks and kind of swim alongside to cool down or anything? Or was that sort of verboten? Yeah. So, um, and that's something I probably should have mentioned um, is so the number one fear for most kayakers is tipping over because in these sit-in kayaks, especially when you've got a lot of gear inside the kayak and on top of the kayak, 
you almost can't get back in those kayaks unless you've got someone helping you stabilize it. Um, so if you tip over and no one's around, you're literally swimming to shore and you're hoping that a, a big barge doesn't run you over. You're hoping that your kayak doesn't uh, get away from you. Um, I, and I never tipped. Um, but so, no, we never were able to kind of jump out of our kayaks like you can on a sit on top and go swimming and jump back in. Uh, we did take a lot of swims, uh, especially on those those hot days. You know, we'd pull into shore, Got it. Uh, pull our boats up and and go for, you know, dips. So we did do a lot of that. But um, once you're in that kayak, you don't want to get out of it until you're <laughs> ready to get out of it. Wow. Did you pick the right kayak? Would you, if you had to do it again, would you, would you use the same style or something different? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Um, because I'm a bigger guy, I think I started the trip at 250 pounds. Um, I only had three, maybe three and a half inches that stuck up out of the water where, where kind of my butt is. Wow. So any even little waves, even yeah. the little waves would splash in. And my kayak is a little bit too tippy for me um so no i would use a different kayak um you know like one story in northern minnesota there's these gigantic lakes that it's actually part of the river but the river goes through these lakes and the wind can get pretty bad and you can get big waves and that was one of my scariest days as well the, the waves were just so big i'm trying not to tip over I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting nervous. Um, you know, I'm cinching my life jacket tighter. But while I'm paddling for my life, the married couple was in a much more stable kayak mm. from the waves. They're playing music and laughing and having a great time. So, you know, it, it um, I probably would use a different kayak um, if I were to do it again. Did they make it? Did the married couple make it all the way down or did they bug out? Uh, no, the husband. The husband got off. Oh, that's right. That's uh, he right. He planned to get get off. Yeah, and and the 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 wife uh, Jill, she also decided to get off a little bit later. But uh, um, I think they both enjoyed it. They're sailors, so they had a sailboat waiting for them that they had just fixed up. So oh, they were fun. pretty anxious to start sailing. So yeah. Cool. So you're you're on yeah. dry land now. I I think I read you you spent like a hundred and what was it like fifteen days without putting on shoes. So you finally yeah. you have your feet firmly planted in shoes and you, uh, <laughs> what was it? A day, two days later, you start planning your next adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I had this other adventure in my mind. I, I'm not the one to do, you know, someone asked if I'd ever do the Pacific Crest Trail again or the Mississippi River. And I, you know, I always answered probably not because, you know, I've done it I, while I enjoyed it. It's, you know, that been there, done that. So um, I'm also not a bicyclist or a road, either a road bike or a mountain bike. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've had a bike um, since I was like a sophomore in high school. But um, I've been researching a little bit about uh, there's a route that goes from like San Diego down to Cabo San Lucas mm. in Baja, California. So um, kind of the same thing as the kayaking trip. I'm going to buy a bike. I'm going to do a little bit of research. Um, I've got some friends that I think are committed to going with me. And uh, we're going to mountain bike, uh, you know, some of it's along the beach, a lot of it's in the desert mountains. Um, I think it's 1,700 miles. So I, I think that adventure, I think I should be able to wrap that up in less than two months. So it won't be that long of a, wow. a trip. Okay. 
Well, then you can fit in a couple of adventures that year. Yeah. Yeah. I hope to this year. So, um, or actually that'll be next year, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, what time are you going to try to do that? Uh, early January. Oh, um, wow. from what I heard, the weather's not too hot down there. Uh, we still gotta, I don't know if we can act drive into Mexico right now. I know you can fly in, but, yeah. uh, we're gonna have to figure out, you know, what the border is like. So, um, but yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that trip too. Well, that should be a fun one. Wow. Yeah, I think so. Um, a little bit of, have to research a little bit on internet and how the phone works down there and stuff like that, but brush up on my Spanish a bit, but yeah. yeah. I'm no good for two months, but maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll jet over to San Diego and kick you guys off. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely be posting kind of some updates. I don't know exactly where we're going to start at, but I'd like to start in San Diego if it, you know, the border allows it. So yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's time for, uh, we normally do this thing, 10 second dash or 10 question dash rather. It's, um, uh, I'm I'm, (laughs) going to ask you 10 questions. Um, it's a pretty painless. So just shout out the first answer that comes to mind. Uh, no take backs, no crossing fingers, no fibbing, et cetera. So, (laughs) okay. All right. So so when you are ready, I don't, I don't know if you race much, but, um, we'll all substitute adventure for race. And you just told me, so, uh, next adventure, two wheels or two feet, you said two wheels, uh, on a mountain bike. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, winter, spring, summer, or fall, what's your, what's your season of choice? Uh, spring. You're a spring guy. Oh, I love spring. Okay. Yes. Um, I think everybody has said fall so far. It's like, what are you crazy? Okay. Um, no. <laughs> what is, uh, what's your favorite race either to do or to time? Uh, probably would be, uh, bad water. I, I haven't done the race, but I love that race. That is my, uh, that is my bucket list race right there. Yeah. Uh, home stretch song or band on your playlist. Do you listen to music while you're, while you're doing your adventures? I do. Um, I'd say Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, very nice. That's a, that's a river band. Uh, most, embarrassing, <laughs> most embarrassing band or artist on your playlist? Oh, geez. Probably something like uh, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but... <laughs> Favorite training partner, human or animal? Weird name. <laughs> Uh, animal for sure. Animal, you dig the animals. Okay, good. Uh, living or dead, you might have yep. had some uh, time to think about this one. Living or dead, who would you most like to share a long run, ride, or kayak with? Oh, let's go with uh, any any guru from the hippie sixty day hippies in the sixties. <laughs> uh, Pre race, Janis Joplin. Let's oh, say Janis, Janis Joplin. Joplin. Okay, well, good. That's a good one. <laughs> Um, do you know Beth Hart, the artist Beth Hart, musician? I've heard of her. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, know her. If you like Joplin, you'll love Beth Hart. Her. She's she's phenomenal. Um, mm, okay, all right. Check her out. Uh, pre-race ritual or superstition? None. None. Very good. None. Um, wake up early enough to make it to the start line on time. Yep. <laughs> there you go. All right, Brian Hoover, the final question here. <laughs> what is the secret? Live life now. Boom. Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, once again, <laughs> I just I want to thank you for making Facebook palatable once again, um, sharing your story. It was totally inspiring. I'm not a big adventurer per se in terms of the long, uh, long time and uh-huh. distance things, but 
I was really inspired reading sure. your story. So um, it was really fantastic. I appreciate well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for having me on, man. This was fun. Uh, it was fun having you. Anything you'd like to plug your business, et cetera? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm with Tater Racing. We're kind of slow right now. Um, you can follow along in my adventures. I'm not much of an Instagram guy, but uh, if you look up Brian Hoover um, uh, on Facebook, you'll probably find me, and uh, I'll try to keep things updated as I go. Cool. Yeah, everybody, please do. It's uh, it's super fun uh, to follow Brian. He's a, he's a really good writer, keeps it uh, nice and concise, but very entertaining. So thanks again, Brian. And that is... Hey, the- I appreciate it, Troy. Cool. Uh, That is the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission. Thanks again to Brian Hoover and happy early birthday. I saw it was your birthday next Wednesday. Uh, Yeah. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We want to hear from you. So leave comments on our socials. We are at Athlinks across the board or shoot us an email to podcast at Athlinks.com. Share it with your friends far and wide. Give us a review if you dig it. And until next time, happy racing, everybody.